and welcome to episode 22 of Clay at Our Core, the only pottery podcast coming to you from the corner of Montgomery Road and Hudson Avenue in peace-loving Norwood, Ohio. Accept no substitutes. I'm your host, Ann Saker. We are slowly getting caught up on the firing after the Ansika conference, and under the direction of assistant studio manager Lexi Cuck, we're finally moving the retail shop of tools and glazes back into the main garage. I've even started teaching a six-week beginner wheel-throwing class on Wednesday nights. So, in some ways, we're back to whatever passes for normal around here. In other ways, we're still thinking a lot about our recent national gathering. In today's episode, we're talking with Nick Sylvan, an incredibly prolific and talented studio member. Nick holds a fine arts degree from Eastern Kentucky University, and they were a key participant in the Undercurrents show and sale for Core Clay members. I wanted to know what a young person got out of the Ensika experience, and Nick has some insights. Also, they love skunks, and now I do too. Here's our conversation. Sylvan, it's nice to see you today. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Great. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. What are you working on today? Uh, today I am working on undo glazing some bisque pieces I have out of the kiln. And you have some. Uh, you're sort of in an animal phase, I think, today, right? You've got a lot of critters um, on your on your. Not desk. just today. Okay. Pretty much <laughs> all of my walk has something to do with animals, and if right. it doesn't have animals in it, it has plants in it. Right, okay, I love that. So tell me a little bit about yourself, Nick. How old are you? Uh, I am 25, okay. almost 26. Uh, I was born in Northern Kentucky, so in the Cincinnati area. Okay. Um, and then I went to Moorhead, Kentucky for college, where I got my Bachelor's of Fine Art. Okay, very good. And was it in ceramic art? Um, no, it wasn't specifically in ceramic art. Our program only had the the general fine art uh, program, so it's not in anything specific. It's just general fine okay, art. Okay, that's great. So, uh, dear listeners of the podcast, you're going to be hearing some thumping going on on the third floor here. We'll try and keep it at a minimum. People are moving things around on the third floor, so... Uh, that's what you're hearing here. We're not uh, bouncing bags of clay off the walls. That's just what that is on the third floor. So, Nick, I wanted to sit down and talk to you a little bit about your experience with the Undercurrent show that we had here, because I just found that to be such a revolutionary experience for me to have this group of artists come together and make this show happen. Talk to me a little bit about how you got involved with that. So, when Core Clay had its general Insinka info meeting, just saying how different the studio is going to be since Insinka is such a big event, right? Uh, I signed up for just a studio show, and a bunch of members got together. It was mainly headed by Nina, uh, Nina Caporeal, 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 right? Um, so I helped out with. I just got in contact with that group, and from the beginning, I just helped out. Uh, I actually helped do group art shows in college. Um, When I walked in the gallery of my college, I, my like special project for my fellowship was doing a group sale every December. Ah. Um, So I, helped mainly with the sales part of the Undercurrent show. Um, 
And so a lot of that was just, okay, I know how a group sale goes. Here are some bases, some building blocks that we can use for our show um, during checkout and everything. Right. What I found interesting about the Undercurrents group is that everybody brought a special talent to the experience. I mean, we had Nina, who's an organizational marble. We had George who, uh, Hibben with his experience uh, at another place in town. Mm -hmm. We had uh, Tom Owens who had the uh, access to uh, a Kemba account. So uh, did you find that interesting that we had lots of people bringing stuff to the table? Yes, it was very nice. It's always good to have people who have a range of what they can do because if it's one person organizing and doing the bookkeeping and the sales setup, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to set up just a gallery show in of itself. And then adding on that we are going to be selling and manning basically a store for an entire week, as well as try and organize people who aren't coming to our organizational meetings every week, just people who want to either have something in the show or have something in the sale. It's a lot of work, so it's really nice to have people who can do the small bits, like have an account and then work on Square Readle stuff right. and then organize who's gonna show up to man the booth. Right. So it, that's what I found so fun about yeah. that is that everybody had, uh, everybody had skills that meshed together nicely to bring mm -hmm. that show off. Yeah. It was really cool. And one of the best things about having these group artist shows is that we have people of different skill sets who can help out. But then the show itself has such a wide range of walk, and it's really nice to see how different you can get with using the same medium. We're all right. using clay, we're all using ceramic clay, but in completely different ways. Totally right. Was there a piece in the show or in the sale that uh, struck you as particularly, uh, I mean, aside from your own work, of course, but something that you remember looking at the show thinking, thinking, gosh, I wish I'd done that. I wish I'm gonna steal some of that and put that in my work. Those. No, no specific piece that I think I wish I did that, but more about little aspects of a piece. Right. So George had a really large mug, like a little mug, and the texture on it was really amazing, yeah. the way the glaze pooled and everything. And I love texture, so yeah. looking at it, I'm like, okay, I, I want to do something a bit messier like that instead of very focused mm -hmm. uh something a bit messy also that way the glaze pools and it captures more of the clay body and the glaze itself for sure uh so you have a general uh, fine arts degree from let's see morehead kentucky don't tell me that's western kentucky that is eastern kentucky eastern kentucky okay i sorry i know i was gonna get that wrong uh so how did you come to clay um, so my sophomore year of college, I took a ceramics class. It was either in 2016 or 2017. I took a ceramics class. I had always liked walking in 3D. Uh, I had made costumes before, oh, just wow. small sculptures. Um, but once I got into ceramics, I was like, okay, 
I am going to have a ceramics class every semester for the rest of my college experience. Right. right. Um, so from then, I had been working with ceramics all the time until 2020, uh, after I graduated and everything, all the studios shut down. Yes, they did. Uh, so yes, they did. So I had to take a break for a while. You know, one of the things that fascinates me about ceramic artists is that they have a story like yours, which is hadn't touched clay. They put their hands on clay for the first time, and all of a something, all of a sudden, something lights up in the brain, mm -hmm. and there's this connection that gets made. What do you think that is about? Um, well, part of it for me is that walking in clay is very much. Uh, a type of physical stimming for me. Mm -hmm. It is, it's allowing me to move and use my hands on something and I can just completely focus and dive into it. Uh, so I think it's really about just like the connection you make using your fingers and just getting dirty. Yeah, yeah. There's something... Uh almost childlike in that sensation that you're getting, literally putting your hands in mud mm -hmm. and getting your hands dirty and maybe getting some on your glasses or on your face or on yeah. your clothes. And so there's something that lights up in us, in the child that is in all of us, that clay seems to uh, trigger, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, so tell me about, uh, so when you finished art school, uh, were you, your emphasis was in ceramics? Yeah, my emphasis was in ceramics mainly just because that's all I wanted to do. <laughs> it wasn't all I wanted to do. I'm, <clears throat> I'm very much a, a jack of all trades, master of none, where I like to work on a lot of different stuff. But clay was something that no matter what else I was working on, I was also working in clay. Yes. Um, so my focus was clay, but generally sculptural. Okay. Um, I wasn't thinking, graduating from college, I wasn't thinking, oh, I'm gonna make a bunch of sculptures that are gonna sell really well and I'm gonna do great. I was doing festival selling jewelry. I made jewelry on the side out of bones and crystals. Um, so that was mainly what I was doing coming from college, was okay. just doing vending for okay. festivals. Wow, okay. Mm -hmm. What are you doing now when you're not here in the studio? Um, I don't do much now. I have quite a few festivals, but now I'm focusing more on selling ceramics. Okay, um, so you're a full-time artist? Yes. Wow, okay. And how do you live your life that way? How do you uh, make ends meet? How, how does uh, that work? My wife God is bless. Okay. <laughs> the one who finances us. Awesome. She is wonderful. Whole what job. is her name? Uh, Rose. Rose, Rose good for you, Rose. <laughs> We're on it, Rose. Hot job. Yeah, so thankfully I have Hall. We can make ends meet while I do my art walk and my festivals. And every once in a while I feel bad, like, oh, I don't make enough money to like contribute to the relationship. She's always like, no, you, she says, I make money, but you are so much more productive than I am. You are making amazing things. Like one of the things I love about walking in ceramics is that my walk will easily last longer than I will. Wow. My walk will can easily still be around long after I'm dead. Wow. 
because we still find antique pottery, ancient pottery and everything. You might have some broken bits, but not always, depending right. on the piece. Uh, so I just, I love that. And that's kind of, she always reminds me like, you make so, like you produce these amazing things. It doesn't really matter if you make that much money because we can survive right now. That's lovely. Mm -hmm. That's not, isn't that, isn't that the dream of every artist? Is yeah. To have a sponsor or a supporter who's willing to say, just go do art. Don't do anything else but make art. Yeah. It's and like it, a dream. And it's definitely not like we live in a life of luxury. We'll, we still struggle and sure. making ends meet, but it is very nice to be able to only focus on art walk. Right. <laughs> what is your favorite piece so far? That, that I have made, made? That you've made, yeah. <clears throat> I think the f my favorite piece that I've made so far is either a coyote sculpture I made after I graduated. I took a post-baccalaureate class uh, because I was still living in my college town and I wanted access to the kilns. <laughs> so right that on. was, that was the on. way to do it. <laughs> um, so I made a anthropomorphic coyote that was sitting on a rock that I really like, and probably my skunk sculpture that I made after I came here to Core Clay. Okay. Um, just because it has a lot of sentimental okay. uh, meaning to me. It was getting back into walking uh, with sculptural stuff, walking solid building and everything. So it was very much a test to, to wake up my sculpting skills since it had been a while. Um, and it's also, skunks are my absolute favorite animal. Uh, they mean so much to me. If I see a skunk, I start crying because I really? love them so much. What do you love about skunks? I love everything They're misunderstood, aren't they, they? They are extremely misunderstood. I think they are wonderful creatures. So a lot of people are scared of skunks because they're afraid of the spray. And they think the spray is awful. Well, one thing. I like the smell of skunks. <laughs> um, there's this genetic thing that some people like the smell of skunks, and I'm fine with the smell. Okay. It doesn't bother me. <clears throat> uh, but also people think they'll, they'll mean, they're gonna spray you anytime they see you. But a skunk will actually try not to spray you if it can. It will stamp its feet, it will do a little growl, but it, it doesn't sound like a dog or anything. Right. Uh, it will stamp its feet, it will puff up, it will run away. It does not want to spray you. That is the last thing it does to try and save itself because it, it needs that. It takes them a while to rebuild the spray right. in the scent glands. So they really need that tool. And I really admire them because just using that spray as a defense mechanism is a very passive way of being. People think they're aggressive and mean, but spraying a predator is passive. Sure. It is not coming and trying to get you. Uh, and I just think they're amazing. They're yes. so cute. I just love them. I'm, I'm a really big fan of a lot of animals. I particularly love your bunny with a knife. Yes. <laughs> I think that one was very, I just fall in love with that one every time mm -hmm. I see it. It's so adorable. And uh, I think it's the knife that's the cutest part <laughs> of the bunny statue. It's yeah. really amazing. What do you, uh, what do you want to do with clay? Where do you want to go with it? Um, 
in the grand scheme of things, I'm not really sure. And I try not to look at the grand scheme because uh, after the pandemic hit, I realized all the plans I had made don't work anymore. So I try to focus a little bit more on just like what's going to make me happy now. Yeah. And what, like the biggest art project I want to walk on right now is that I really want to make pieces that talk about autism. So I am. And why is that? So I. Why is that close to you? I am actually autistic. Uh, I am on the autism spectrum, so I would really like to make pieces that kind of talk about that and show the things that I can't really say or I can't really put into words mm-hmm. um, to kind of help like an understanding too. What is it that people misunderstand the most in your experience with autism? I feel like the biggest misunderstanding is that it only affects children. So a lot of people think it's a it's a child disease ah. or something. Um, when in reality, it's that our brains are hardwired differently. Mm-hmm. So we are just processing things in a different way than non-autistic people process. Okay. Uh, we can't grow out of it. Uh, So a lot of people think like, oh, it's just a misbehaved little boy who has... Too much sugar. Yeah. When really it's... Things can feel so intense. Um, We can try and hide it as we grow up to seem quote-unquote more normal, but we still are autistic. Right. Um, So... Just things can be really hard, even as an adult. People think like, oh, you're just going to grow out of it. Um, And for a long time, a lot of my autistic traits, when I was growing up, I had a hard time because I kept thinking, oh, I'll grow out of this eventually. I'll stop being a picky eater eventually. I, I won't be like this eventually because a lot of the traits or... A lot of the traits other people view as being childish. When it's not childish, it's just different. Right. Being a picky eater isn't childish, it's just you only like salted foods. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I get that. But I can see how people would confuse it with you're just being difficult, you're, Mm -hmm. you know. And so when you look at both, like if you look up autism, on Google, you're gonna see puzzle pieces and you're gonna be, see kids and bright primary colors. And even if you look up autism, autistic or autism support, you're going to find support groups for parents of children yeah. instead of for or autistic people who need support. Um, so when I was growing up, I, I thought my traits were quote unquote childish and not acceptable, um, but then as an adult, I got a, a diagnosis that said, hey, you actually are on the autism spectrum. These things aren't going away. 
you have to learn how to manage them. Were you already working in clay when you got that diagnosis? Yes, I got my diagnosis last year, actually. Oh, no kidding, mm -hmm. that recently? Yeah. What was it that led you to finally try and get someone to give you a word? Um, so when I was in college, I still struggled. I've always struggled with social communication. Um, so in college, I was looking at a lot of things for anxiety. I thought I just had anxiety really bad. Uh, turns out it wasn't only anxiety, it was autism. But so I had looked it up, some things online said, it might be this. For years I had looked for um, professionals that could do assessments to see if it was accurate or anything. Um, but in Moorhead, Kentucky, there wasn't anyone not to do much, that. Not much, yeah, not much there, for, right. For adults, and that's the thing, no matter where you go, if you're trying to find assessments for adults, it's extremely difficult. Um, so after the pandemic, I finally found a place that I could get an assessment in Cincinnati, and I only found them because they did adult ADHD assessments. I couldn't even find this when I was trying to look up autism assessments. That's how difficult it can be to just see any type of thing related to adults with autism. Wow. Pretty much all the assessment is about kids. How has Clay either informed your awareness of autism or maybe even given you some healing? How has it, how do you incorporate these two things together? Do they inform each other? Do they work with each other? They both walk with each other and walk against each other. Oh, interesting. So okay. I, uh, my ceramics are both powered by autism and in spite of autism. <laughs> uh, because I, I can get so focused and drawn into walking and it really comes out when I'm walking with clay. I, in college, I used to walk over 12 hours in one sitting wow. in the same room, wow. nonstop walking. I would have to have people deliver me meals or I wouldn't eat. Um, so I, and that's part of autism is that you don't like switching tasks and you can get so hyper-focused on something that you can't be pulled away. You don't realize that you're hungry. You don't right. realize that you're thirsty. Um, so because I can use clay as a type of stim and give myself stimulus, walk with my hands, I just like, I completely fall into the material. So because autism affects no, everything I do, it's a processing thing, it automatically affects how I am with clay. So I'll just, I'll get so focused and it allows me to make these incredible sculptures that I don't understand how I made. Uh, because I'm so focused, I don't, I don't realize everything I'm doing. Like, I have to then step back and like, wow, I, I made this? Oh, interesting, um, okay. 
So it's coming from a part of your brain that you're you're both in t really in touch with and kind of disconnected from at the same time. Yes. Um, That's a weird feeling, isn't it? Yeah, it's it can be a bit strange, but it's all it when I'm doing it, it doesn't really feel like anything. I I have my headphones in, I'm listening to music, and the only things that exist are what I'm listening to and what I'm walking on. And that's it. Everything else is just faded away. away. Yeah. What do you like to listen to? Uh, what are you listening to today? Today? What am I listening to today? I believe, yes. So today I was listening to Oingo Boingo, Talking Heads, and The Psychedelic Falls. Nice, nice, nice. Yes. Okay. Um, but I'm... I will switch my music taste a lot. Uh, sometimes it's techno music, sometimes it's disco. Uh, I will listen to Kate Bush's Hounds of Love album mm -hmm. on repeat. Okay. Uh, but yeah, today it's, it's mostly Oingo Boingo. I love it. <laughs> I love that. That is amazing. Nick, it is uh, it's such a pleasure to talk with you. It's, it's really one of the things I love about doing this podcast is being able to see how other artists bring everything they are to the to the material, and it's I really appreciate you sharing uh, your journey in clay with uh, with our podcast. So thanks so much, and I'm going to cut you loose and let you go back to do your magic. All right, thanks for having me. Thank you so much, Nick. I'm sure I've said this before, but among the many wonderful reasons to spend time in a pottery studio is meeting the other people who are drawn to this art, such as Nick Sylvan. Thanks again, Nick. Now, Potters, if you will allow me a moment, I'm going to take a personal note here. Though we don't talk about it a lot, we Potters are aware of the connection of our art to death. Pottery is found in ancient graves around the world. We make glazes out of ash from bone. People keep the cremains of their loved ones in that special hand-built ceramic urn on the fireplace mantle. And if there's one thing you find in a pottery studio, it's dust. So remember, human, that thou art dust, and to dust you shall return. This week I learned of the death of a woman I knew when I was a reporter in Portland, Oregon. Her name was Lisa Cowan. She wasn't a friend or even really an office buddy. She worked nights, I worked days, but every one of my brief professional interactions with her during our overlap at the Oregonian left me thinking, wow, this person is something else. Lisa was a journalist dedicated to the presentation of news, a page designer with responsibilities that went far beyond the job title. She was whip smart, a news junkie, engaged, insightful. She was a gourmet pastry chef, interior designer, and lover of the good life. She and her husband and her boxers moved a few years ago when she got a job at the New York Times. But even more important to her than a high-powered journalism career was life with horses. From her tender years, Lisa was an accomplished horsewoman in all facets of the sport, ring jumping, trail riding, even fox hunting. In recent years, she had learned to ride side saddle, making all her own riding clothes with the fluffy ascots and the elegant riding skirts. Digging down to, into her social media, you see dozens of pictures of her aboard her rides, 
perfectly turned out, endlessly glamorous, smiling all the way. On the last Sunday in March, Lisa experienced a riding accident that caused a brain injury that she fought to survive but could not. She died on the morning of April 13th, her husband holding her hand. She had just turned 56. Dozens and dozens of friends poured out their grief on social media this week with many stories about this woman's zest for life. One of her friends wrote, I was looking forward to seeing what kind of old lady she would be. I am now of an age when I can see that the next 20 years will be inevitably filled with one horrible loss after another like this, from disease, from injury, from neglect, from all the things to which our flesh succumbs. And this is when the refuge of the pottery studio is most important, when we try to calm ourselves, comfort ourselves, ease the pain of loss. The next few pots I throw will be in honor of the magnificent Lisa Cowan, and I hope that I become the old lady she might have been. That's it for episode 22 of Clay at Our Core, the Pottery Podcast. I'm Ann Saker, and I thank you for listening. May the kiln gods smile upon you. <laughs>